Welcome to episode 22 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 3. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach and stories heal. Listeners, as this is our journey together, I of course cannot proceed without including you in the celebrations. We have a milestone to talk about. Sharing Life Lessons has surpassed 3,000 plays. And of course, if you would not be listening, we would not have surpassed this milestone. So here I am announcing this and thanking each and every one of you for listening to Sharing Life Lessons. And for the celebrations, well, since we are right now at 3,048 plays, if you add these three, four numbers together, 3 plus 0 plus 4 plus 8, you come to 15. So the 15th person to send me a comment on the Sharing Life Lessons Facebook page will get a small little thank you present from me. So go ahead and send me your comments on the Facebook page of Sharing Life Lessons. I am ready to introduce our guest for the day. Our guest today is a very resilient and strong woman. She is going to take us with her through her journey, not only with one, nor two, but three cancers and all at very aggressive levels. She is going to tell us what cancer taught her. We all may have considered cancer as a big C disease, but how many of us actually thought of cancer as a teacher? Well, Let's listen to what she has to say. Everyone, let's welcome Munira Premji. Hello, Munira. Thank you for being on the show. Welcome, and I'm so happy you're here. I'm delighted to be here with you, Hamida. Wonderful. Munira, can you please start us off by telling us something about yourself? Absolutely. So, my name is Munira Premji. I was born in Moshi, Tanzania at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. I immigrated to Canada in 1978, and I got to tell you, I am a very proud Canadian. I am a mom, uh, a wife, and a daughter. My family is a very integral part of my life. I am a human resources practitioner, and my areas of expertise are leadership development, organizational development and coaching. I am a blogger and I write a blog called IWillSurvive.org that has over 200,000 hits from around the world. I'm a wannabe cook. I enjoy baseball. I'm a podcast host. I am a cancer warrior. And now, Hamida, I am an author of a book published by Mowenzi House. And the book is called Choosing Hope. One Woman, Three Cancers. And the book was selected recently by the CBC as one of the top 40 books to read in the spring of 2020. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Kindly. So, Munira, what I'm going to do is I am going to take the link from you and add it to my show notes so that the listeners have it handy if they want to refer to it. Fabulous. Great. Wow. That's a lot that you have in terms of what you're doing. So can you tell us what's your story? Well, a big part of my story is what happened to me about eight years ago. After being 100% healthy for my entire life, 
I noticed that I was getting a bit tired and ended up going to my family doctor. And, you know, I'm one that takes health seriously. I'd uh, get physicals done every year. And uh, lo and behold, I noticed that I just wasn't doing very well. Ended up in emergency. And that's when I was diagnosed with uh, stage three multiple myeloma, which is an incurable cancer. Multiple myeloma is a cancer that begins in the plasma cells. So plasma cells are found in the bone marrow. And myeloma happens when there is an overproduction of the plasma cells in the bone marrow. And what that does is it crowds out and suppresses white cells, red blood cells, and platelets. And the cause of multiple myeloma is not known. We know that it's not curable at the moment anyway, but it is treatable. And the symptoms of multiple myeloma are you know, bone pain, nerve damage, skin lesions, kidney damage. And the treatment for multiple myeloma is also uh, quite interesting in addition to chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. What I went through was a stem cell transplant and I've done two of those to try and increase the longevity of my life. Okay, okay. And right now you feel like those two stem cell transplants were a success and you're okay? Well, I had my first stem cell transplant about seven years ago. And typically a stem cell transplant lasts about two and a half, three, three and a half years. I was incredibly fortunate. Mine lasted a good seven years before I needed to go for a second uh, transplant. And so I'm about seven months past my second transplant. And I feel, I feel on top of the world. I feel on top of the world. But to continue with my story, mm -hmm. one week after I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, I was back at work and I get a call from my hematologist. And she says, you need to rush to the hospital right away because your bone marrow is showing weird stuff, you know, the biopsy. And when I go back, I now learn that in addition to the multiple myeloma, I now also have stage four non-Hodgkin lymphoma. You must be in a state of shock to learn that. Yeah, we were still kind of coping with the first diagnosis and, sure. and figuring out what that means when the second one came. And, and the lymphoma was incredibly aggressive. And so my oncologist, who has expertise in both myeloma and lymphoma, said, we got to manage the lymphoma because if we don't treat it aggressively, we're, we're just not even going to get to the myeloma piece. So it was a scary time. And uh, lymphoma is, you know, it's part of the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system is a system of vessels, organs that run through the body. It's part of the body's immune system that fights infections. And it can start anywhere in the body. And because it's all over the place, surgery is not an option. And so I went through some pretty aggressive, aggressive chemotherapy. And I'm, I'm here and I am in remission from the lymphoma. I don't know too much about cancers, but it still sounds to me like a pretty rare thing to have both at the same time. Is, am, yeah. am I right? First of all, both of those cancers are called orphan cancers. They're not 
cancers that you hear about often, you know, like prostate cancer or breast cancer, these are orphan cancers. And so the numbers of people that have it are, are really quite limited. And then about four years ago, while I was beginning to start my life all over again, I noticed a lump in my breast. And this time I was diagnosed with uh, stage three breast cancer. So three advanced cancers within five years. That sounds crazy. But yeah, tell us more. I started writing a blog about my, my journey with cancer. And I started that eight years ago, as soon as I was first diagnosed. I, I found that really therapeutic. And it was a way for me to connect with people. I, I love people and I tend to be very extroverted. But I was really very, very ill for a long period of time. And I was not able to come out and connect as much. So the blog was a way for me to uh, keep in touch with folks. And when I first started the blog, the idea was that it would be you know, for family and friends. Uh, and next thing I know, it just got viral and people started to follow me from around the world and connect with me. And next thing you know, I was supporting people through their own journeys. And uh, when I would travel to different parts of the world, I would meet people who I had met virtually through the blogs. And it really was a, a wonderful experience. And then a number of people said, hey, you gotta, you gotta write a book. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I would do that. And one of the things that's unique about my book, Hamida, mm -hmm. is it tells the story of my journey with cancer from my perspective, but it also tells the story of my journey with cancer from the perspective of my family. And that's a voice that's not often heard. So in the book, you know, there's chapters written by my husband by my daughter Sabrina, by my son Shane. And it's really quite significant because as they were writing those chapters in the book, I didn't know the half of it. I didn't know the impact that the cancer was having on them. I didn't know what they went through because they went through their own journeys. And, can you, uh, Manira, can you please share some parts of their journey with us? whatever stories or incidents or feelings that you get out of those chapters, it'd be really nice if you could share that with us. Sure. So my husband, Nagib, we've been married for 38 years and he is the love of my life. And we are also diametrically opposite. He brings the, he grounds me and I think I'm the fun factor in his life. And so our approach to the cancer was really quite different, you know? Mm -hmm. So once I was comfortable that I had the right healthcare providers and I trusted in what the treatment was going to be, I was really happy to let it go. Nagib, on the other hand, is very structured and it's all about the process and the methodology and about Excel spreadsheets and all of those things and, and about controlling what he could. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fact that he had very little control was very, very hard for him. And so... While my approach was more, I'm not going to focus on the cancer, his entire approach was to focus on my cancer. So you can imagine how interesting that would have been. So I am trying to be as independent as I can, and he is trying to hold me back uh -huh. from a place of 
caregiving, protection, and love. Hey, was that frustrating for you? Or was that where you felt, okay, I'm being loved? What were your emotions with that? Uh, both. Mostly frustration. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. <laughs> and, you know, we had to have some really honest conversations. And I had to really honor the fact that this was coming from a place of love. And I had to honor the fact that he needed to know where I was every minute of the day. And he needed to honor the fact that there was so much out of my control that I needed to find a way to balance the cancer with the other parts of my life, because that doesn't disappear. And, you know, we were able to to find that place. And another story I can share with you is my daughter, Sabrina, was working in Nairobi, Kenya. She does some pretty incredible work with an organization that she co-founded with her husband. The organization is called Kidogo, and they provide high-quality early childhood education in the slums in Nairobi. So people who are the most disadvantaged of the disadvantaged. And the minute she found out that I was diagnosed with cancer, she basically left the work that she was doing to be one of my primary caregivers. She came home and together with Nagib, they looked after me. She was with me for 10 months and came to pretty much every appointment, every blood work, every blood transfusion. And I really don't know what I would have done without her because Sabrina also is my very, very best friend. This is bringing chills to me because I have a daughter who's my best friend. And I just want to say you're a lucky mom. That I am, and I know it every day, you know. Those are, those are blessings, aren't they, Amida? They are, absolutely. I am so with you on that. And tell me something about your son. Well, Shane is, is somebody that I, <laughs> I absolutely adore. He and I have, you know, weekly, delightful, delicious, long conversations about anything and everything. With Shane, I can be... I can be me at my very best because he is somebody who is probably the most non-judgmental person I know. And I just miss them both very, very much. They're far away. Kenya is far away. I know sons are uh, super attached to their mothers. They do have a special bond with their mothers. What was he going through? What did he say in the book? You've got to read that book, Hamida, because he's written a few chapters and each time I read it, even now, I, uh, I cry. He talked about his guilt for not coming to the hospital immediately because he worked as an investment banker when he lived in Toronto uh, for a large bank and he was working on a deal and was not able to come to the hospital. And I didn't realize the extent of that guilt until he wrote about it in the book. Mm-hmm. He wrote about finding it very difficult to see me in the hospital. And, you know, what he writes in the book is just so raw. You know, it may not be the right thing to say, if you will, but it was real for him and how hard it was for him to see me so sick, not knowing whether I was going to make it or not. Yeah, I'm sure that must be the biggest question in everyone's mind because you had two rare cancers, both together and both advanced stages. So I'm sure everyone had that 
fear in their hearts. And you know, it was interesting. Uh, for some reason, I thought in my mind that I had two weeks to live. I mean, my situation was was extremely critical. And uh, I, I didn't think I was going to make it um, at all. And it was really quite interesting. But while I was in the hospital, <laughs> I figured people were going to come home to pay their respects when I died. And I decided that I really wanted hardwood floors in uh, my family room and <laughs> the entrance <laughs> of the house. So here I am in the hospital calling people to ask if they knew anybody who could put hardwood floors. And by the time I left the hospital, I had hardwood floors <laughs> in my in my home, so it was really quite interesting because I was, I felt I was living on borrowed time, and there was a sense of urgency with the way that I was approaching my life. That's uh, hardwood floors, huh? That's what came to mind. That's yep. sweet, very sweet. So since you came out from the hospital, then what, what's happening now? Like, are you, are you in remission for all three? How's your life right now? Are you still always thinking about whether it's going to come back? Like, tell me about your emotions about these three cancers. That is a great question, Hamida. That's a great question. Well, I do go for regular checkups. In fact, just before our podcast today, I had gone in for blood work, which I do weekly. I go for you know memograms every three or four months. So those things have continued. Right now, I'm actually in really good shape. But what I wanted to really respond to was the question you asked about where my emotions are. You know, one of my biggest lessons, and, and there are many lessons, but one of my biggest lessons with cancer is you get what you focus on. And I got to tell you that when I look at my life today, the cancer piece is so minuscule. It is so tiny. I don't even really think about it. I don't engage in it at all. And I, I really do have a very full life. I'm continuing to work as an HR consultant. I, I volunteer extensively. I'm involved in just so many different things that bring me joy that the cancer piece is, is really not there. Uh, very much at all. I mean, I do support a lot of people who are going through the journey because it's a way for me to give back. And so how am I doing? Well, on a scale of one to 10, I would tell you I'm probably at 100% right now. I wake up every morning delighted to be alive. So in terms of emotions, I am actually probably in one of the best times of my life. Now, while I say that cancer has been a gift to me, I don't like to say that aloud because it's a gift that seems to keep giving. <laughs> and it's certainly not something that I would, you know, want to give to anybody. Uh, but I got to tell you, the lessons learned from it have been uh, incredibly important in how I live my life today. It's so good to hear that you're at 100%, Munira. Really, really good to hear that. And since this podcast is called Sharing Life Lessons, and you, like you said, you've learned so many lessons from your time with cancer, please share your lessons with us. I think the first thing um, I'd like to say, probably my first lesson is when I was first diagnosed with cancer, came as a complete shock, complete absolute shock. I, I didn't know what to do with it. We have no 
history of cancer in our family. So it was, you know, brand new. And when I tried to talk about it, I, I realized that people were not comfortable sharing. It's almost like, you know, the C word that cannot be named. And I was not particularly great with it for three, four, five months even. I felt really sad and I was really quite the victim. And I went through the, the stages of grief, you know, that um, Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross talks about. You know, I went through the, the denial. All I wanted was I'll get the treatment and then I want life back to normal. I just really denied that I had the cancer. I went through anger because I felt I had a pretty good life, pre-cancer even, and I was really not ready to to see that life come to an end. I did quite a bit of bargaining. I'll do everything that the doctors say to me. I will, you know, eat everything that everybody tells me to eat, you know, to be healthy. I went through a, a short period of feeling quite dismayed and, and depressed when it felt like this is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. And it wasn't until I came to that place of submission and acceptance that I felt that I could move on to life in a constructive and productive way. So I think that was one of the first lessons that I learned, that I needed to go through that cycle and come to that place of acceptance. And what I found with acceptance is, you know, it's not passive. It's, it's about accepting where you are. And it's about doing things that are within your control. Like, what is it that I needed in terms of information? Who could I go to? Where could I get help from? So there was that one piece of it, which was the analytical piece. Mm-hmm. But the other piece was to have faith. And I started to think that a typical body has approximately 50 trillion cells and each cell knows what to do and where to go and it knows its function. And they all work together to generate perfect health. And so, you know, there is a divine being that makes all of this happen. And it's about trusting. It's about finding hope when all seems lost. And so... You know, acceptance for me, submission for me was a very conscious act of what can I control as well as, you know, that divine being, he's got me. He's got me. He's taken me through this and he will take me through it. He's got your back. He's got my back, you know, and I saw so many miracles along the way. Juanita, I actually want to share something that is not similar but when that switch happened for me for there is a divine being and he knows what's happening and these cells in our bodies know what what they're doing is when my very very close friend gave birth to twins knock wood the twins are both now seniors in high school and about to go to college but when she gave birth to them she gave birth to them on january 1st her younger one was one and a half pounds, one and a half pounds. Like I go to the supermarket and I buy grapes that are heavier than that, right? And when I carried that baby in my arms, his name is Ali and I go, wow, he's breathing, he's moving. I mean, you could see the bones in him, but 
every body part of his in that one and a half pounds knew exactly what to do to keep him alive. I just needed to, to share that. And I'm really glad you did that. And you know, the beauty about that, Hamida, is once you get to that place, and it was unfortunate that I didn't get to that place until, you know, cancer's grip held me so tight. Once you get to that place, you just see life in a, in a really different way because you understand that it's only here. This is what matters. It's about being in that present and that certain darkness is needed to see the stars. So true, so true. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have any other life lesson for us? Tons. You know, another thing was really around the fact that you don't do cancer alone. You know, I see some statistics that really scare me. In Canada, two out of nearly three people will go through cancer. I mean, just take that in for a moment. Two out of nearly three people will go through cancer in their lifetime. And that's huge, you know? And when I think about somebody going through cancer, there's an army around them. So for me, it was my caregivers. They were the true, real heroes of the journey. They go through so much, and yet the attention goes to the person who's going through the cancer. And yet their voices, their emotions, what they go through feeling helpless as they watch a loved one going through, I mean, is, is really remarkable. You know, when I was incredibly sick for periods of time in, in, in five years, I needed blood transfusions, many blood transfusions. And so giving thanks to those that donated blood, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here telling the story. When I think about support groups, I am not one to ask for help. Uh, Pre-cancer, always saw myself as somebody who gave, but not somebody who took. And, mm -hmm. and that was probably one of the biggest lessons for me, that when I started to ask for help, I, I realized that people were so happy about providing that help, but it took me a long time to get there. And so support groups, community, friends, like sometimes when you're having a horrible day, because you go through those days when you're going through chemo treatment and you can't eat and you're nauseous and you can't remember stuff and you've got chemo fog and you can't climb the stairs and you can't get out of bed, then those friends are the ones who remind you who you really are mm -hmm. and that cancer does not need to define you. So that was a really big one for me, you know, that you don't do cancer alone. That's incredible, Munira. Thank you so much for these life lessons. I want to ask the listeners, I know Munira has many, many more lessons to share, but we're running out of time. And so please read her book. It's a really incredible book to read. The link is in the show notes. Munira, why don't you tell us the title one more time? The title is called Choosing Hope, One Woman, Three Cancers. It's available on Amazon. And the reason I picked the title Choosing Hope it is because that title really resonates with me. When we choose hope, there is something that unleashes in us to know that there is a tomorrow. When we choose hope, even a glimmer of that hope um, gives us faith. Thank you, Munira, for that incredible final message to the listeners. 
thank you for sharing your life lessons with us. It was wonderful to have you on the show. It was a joy. Thank you so much for the invitation, Hamida. Much appreciated. And you make this so easy. That's really good to hear. Thank you, Munira. Choosing Hope, One Woman, Three Cancers. I really liked how Munira took us, actually carried us through her journey with cancer. And she also shared so many life lessons that cancer taught taught her. I would like to summarize some of these life lessons. And here they are. One, you get what you focus on. Two, find hope when all seems lost. Three, you don't do cancer alone or for that matter, any difficulty or trauma in life that you have, you do not do that alone. You need your family, your friends, community, your support group. Munira also thought about her um, health caregivers and also the blood donors. And you could feel, you could hear the gratitude that she had in her voice for them. Four, Munira takes the life lesson of episode number 21 of There is no shame in asking for help a bit further. She also says it took cancer to enable her to ask for help from others. But when she did, she realized that people were very, very happy to provide that help. And to uh, understand more about that life lesson, I urge my listeners to listen to episode number 21. And lastly, she said, have faith and submit to the divine, whatever that may be for you. And believe that it will carry you through whatever it is that you're going through. That brings us to the end of this episode. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.